0: now in partnership with the westport libraries verso studios and quick center for the arts uh it's oh brother not another podcast which you'll find on all major uh podcast aggregators and if you like the show please leave a nice review and i'm trace burrows and i'm mix burrows and um i thought
1: aggregators lived in the everglades <laughs> <laughs> oh those are alligators see you later aggregator that's <laughs> yeah, you later aggregator uh, no, our guest today is uh, Dick Wingate, who uh, um, lives nearby where we live here in Connecticut. And uh, has had a, an amazing, varied career in the music biz and has worked with some of my favorite artists. I mean, Al Stewart might be my all-time favorite. I play that. It's on my playlist when I jog every day uh, on the border and uh, "Dear of the Cat. I mean, I can't get enough of it. I never get tired of it. And and Elvis Costello and um, almost blue is probably my favorite one of my favorite songs. Also, um, anyway, uh, Bruce Springsteen. Bruce, well, who Indeed.
0: I know Bruce. <laughs> Bruce,
2: guy guy. everyone's boss. Yeah. yeah, the boss.
1: So um, I don't know where to start. I guess we'll start at the beginning and then go back. So what what are you? Uh, you've been with a lot of different record companies. Well, start off with the definition. You're the you've been uh, self-identified as a, as a project manager. And, and people probably want to know what that is versus an A&R guy versus a manager versus an agent.
2: Sure. Well, I actually, you know, I grew up in New Haven and Hamden actually. And, and I was obsessed with the radio from the minute I had my first transistor radio and I would listen to it to the point where I knew every song and was, um, calling the station uh, when they would have, this was WAVZ, the top 40 station in New Haven, which was the dominant one of of the day. And they had a hourly contest called Spin It and Win It, where they would play the record and the first person that called that could identify the record would win the record and get their name announced on the air and everything. And I won it two or three times (laughs) when I was like 12. Mm-hmm. and and I got you had the option of of uh going down to the station to pick it up and so of course I wanted to uh, I I wanted to go down and I got to see the DJ through the glass and so I I said I want to do that you know and and uh uh and and I got to do that soon thereafter but before, while I was still in high school Um, And I saw the Young Rascals and The Doors and Jeff Beck with his new vocalist, Rod Stewart, (laughs) and and Cream all in New Haven while I was still in in high school. And the Rolling Stones' first appearance at Madison Square Garden in 69, again, still in high school. I happened to be in London. I saw Blind Faith's first ever live performance in Hyde Park.
1: Mm.
2: And, And so I just, you know, became a music junkie. Uh, When I went off to Brown University, uh, I went up to the radio station not long after I arrived there and tried out to become a DJ and got on the air quickly. And uh, um, eventually, uh, like within a year, became the music director and then the program director of what was then a 50,000 watt radio station that covered all of southeastern New England uh, was the number one FM station in Rhode Island and so we were we would get calls from you know Martha's vineyard and from Connecticut and mm. it was quite extraordinary so uh, because we had a major impact on the market uh record companies came according every week uh, uh every Tuesday they would come down and pitch me on what they wanted me to play and we were a free form album radio station so we pl- you know it was the heyday of of album rock you know where anything went except for expletives which you couldn't do that but well you still can't on broadcast radio um and uh and soon thereafter and now i'm going to circle back to you migs mentioning al stewart one of the artists that i championed was al stewart and in fact the album uh that that blew my mind was the album past present and future because i was i was a I loved history. And basically that's an album of history set to music. Mm. And so I, I was playing the hell out of it. And Janice records, he was signed to Janice records. They, they came to visit me and brought Al up to the station and long story short, they offered me a job after I graduated. So six months after I graduated, i uh, went to work for them in the interim i worked at wplr in new haven on the air uh, two or three nights on weekends and i continued to do that even for the year that i worked for what was then chastanis records i did plr shows on the weekends um, and then i was hired by columbia records to be a product manager which is what you're referring to which is basically the 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 in-house manager for you know, each artist is assigned a, a product manager. And there were maybe three or four of us uh, that each had like a maybe a dozen acts, you know, in New York. And then the West Coast had theirs. And because I had become a Springsteen fanatic, well, after I saw him perform at Brown, and by the way, when his first album came out, Columbia brought him up to the radio station, and I met him, and he was so shy... Huh. He was so shy oh. that we didn't go on the air. Oh
1: my god. Because
2: I was afraid it was going to be a bomb. <laughs> and uh turned out it was his first ever visit to a radio station. And he was just like a deer in the headlights. And I hadn't seen him perform yet. But then when I saw him perform, which was like a year later, when he'd already had his second album out, I was like, oh, oh my god. It's like Jekyll and Hyde. I mean, I I only wished I could have seen him perform Mm -hmm. before I met him. So I became a fanatic. We went to every show in New England, and then Columbia came according and and they said, we'd like to hire you to be a product manager. I said, can I have Bruce Springsteen? (laughs) (laughs) And they said yes. And uh, so I ended up writing the marketing plans for Bruce's album, Darkness on the Edge of Town. And for Pink Floyd's Animals album, and for the first three Elvis Costello albums, which was a massive undertaking because they all came out in 18 months. So oh, they, one just segued right into the other. And uh, Pink Floyd uh, said that, and, and Peter Tosh of the Whalers, the, the Legalize It, which mm. talk about being ahead of its time.
1: Yeah. yeah. And
2: uh, so I just had an incredible roster of artists that I had the in, incredible uh experience of working with and going out on the road with him, and and
1: uh how do you how do you manage just the diplomacy of it I mean do, does does you know Al Stewart get jealous that you're spending too much time with Elvis Costello or vice versa that, you know?
2: well no, Al Stewart was before that oh, was okay. the director company right. Al Stewart was everything when I was with the only other artist I spent a much time really working I uh, remember we had muddy waters. Al- uh, new great Muddy Waters album called The Woodstock Album, in which basically all the all the great musicians of Woodstock backed him. It was recorded at, at uh, Bearsville Studios. And uh, I remember throwing, co-hosting his 60th birthday party with WBCN uh, mm-hmm. in Boston uh, at a live performance at Paul's Mall. And so there's a great photograph of us uh, backstage, which was just um, published in a book on wbcn so uh no once i got to to columbia it was all in. i let go of the radio thing I, I stopped working at plr and um and then from there uh epic which was the other main cbs records label uh hired me to do a and r um so now we're at 1979 and and so i uh, that was the the second time I'm already changing hats, which I've done many, many, many times. I changed my hat from radio to records, yeah. marketing, and then from marketing to A&R. And during my years, seven years at Epic, I signed, uh, among others, uh, Amy Mann and her band Till Tuesday, executive produced Voices Carrie, which was a top 10 hit, and won the MTV award that year, which was an at that time an important award. Um, and uh Garland Jeffries made his best-selling album with him and uh, with with by the way with two members of the E Street Band on the on on the number of the songs and um, we did uh, I signed to stiff records with very influential the, the label that found Elvis Costello I signed a distribution deal with them and we put out uh, a number of, of great new wave albums and um, eddie grant i had a number one record with electric avenue which i licensed for the united states that was actually the highest charting record i ever had you know my fingerprints on
0: mm. yeah i remember so, that song yeah what's that no i remember the electric
2: avenue. everybody everybody yeah. around the world remembers that song they, can often, hear worm. they don't can hear it yeah.
0: if,
2: if you ask them who sang it maybe half will remember yeah yeah but they totally oh they 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 just the song is just global
1: how how would the marketing i mean this is too inside for people but i mean how would the marketing how how do you establish the marketing plan for one artist versus another when it's all i mean it's more is it those radio stations at that time were big i guess the big deal Yeah. yeah yeah
2: that i mean compared to today's marketing yeah uh there there were uh, you know there were a half a dozen levers you could you could push at that time radio live you know getting the band on the road publicity print media still meant a lot
1: Mm.
2: a great interview in rolling stone or a cover of rolling stone Mm. was Um, gold and then you know of course television uh, even, you know, and then MTV was, you know, critical. And uh, and then the other piece would be to pay for basically what we call price and positioning at the retail stores, which were the end caps. Mm-hmm. And to be in the Sunday circulars, which you might surely remember, you know, where they'd be like, you know, little thumbnails of yeah. 10 albums on sale this week for $9.99, <laughs> you know uh those were basically the levers so you were kind of Mm. working all those things today's marketing is got a hundred levers you know and most of those that i just mentioned don't even play into it obviously there's no record stores that are very meaningful although vinyl has come back but it, it it wouldn't be your number one priority um and mtv is meaningless and uh uh radio, you don't you don't even you don't go to radio unless you already have a significant footprint in social media and, and or sales, uh, uh, streams, which is yeah. streams are sales now. You know the uh, industry is completely uh fueled by streams. You so know. how
0: so how did uh what I understand is you, to make um a uh, thirty dollars on Spotify for the artist, you have to have ten thousand streams. How does an artist make any money out there in the streaming world you,
2: you can't at that level <laughs> you know,
0: yeah I'm not sure
2: you can't it's yeah. it, it, you know it's like selling ten records of, you know a few years ago <laughs> yeah. um so it, it it the the conundrum uh of the of the streaming era is that there are there's unlimited bandwidth for artists to release music and it's cost virtually cost nothing in some cases it does cost nothing to distribute your music to all the major streaming services yeah so not to mention the fact that home recording is is that is so relatively cheap now you know that you have yeah, you know, take an example, uh, Billy Eilish. You know those those that first record was recorded in
0: her front, in her bedroom. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that, yeah no, those, I saw they won a Grammy or something on that one. Won right? four Grammys the first <laughs> yeah. year. I mean, it won every major award.
2: Well, the point is that you know the the bar to actually producing music is is so low, and then the bar to distributing it is non-existent. So you have, there's now, it's estimated 100,000 songs per week oh. being uploaded. Oh. Into. So it's the old, if the tree falls in the woods situation.
0: Yeah. yeah.
2: You know, it's like artists are empowered, but who's going to hear it outside of their immediate, you know, friends and family. And so it's a challenge and and to to, you can't, in my opinion, the, the the major streaming services, you know, Spotify, Apple, Amazon, at, at Sound SoundCloud, et cetera. Well, SoundCloud has a little bit of social component, but very little. Is that they're not social networks themselves; they're just utilities
1: and platforms. Yeah.
2: And um, so, it you you can't an artist can't really build an audience organically on those services they have to do it elsewhere they have to do it on one of the social networks Mm -hmm. uh, or on youtube which is still is vitally important you know for for obvious reasons it's the visual too but um in instagram you know all of them facebook and tiktok has become uh the there's always the bright shiny object for the record companies to chase after where and, and right now and it has been for the last two years it's TikTok. So they they will throw money at TikTok meaning they'll buy influencers
1: mm.
2: to talk about and post their artists' music in the hopes mm. to create mm. well mm. and but there's fewer and fewer of those happening for the same reason that the tree it's the tree falling in the woods. Again, TikTok has been so inundated with everyone thinking, oh, I, I'm gonna be a star and this is it. And I'm just gonna put up my I'm gonna put up my uh, uh my little song and my dance. That it's again, it's really hard to break out of the pack. It was much easier a year or two ago. The, you know, you you I'm sure remember the um, the Fleetwood Mac song uh, that Dreams that blew up because some guy you know like was was drinking I forgot what it was and was attached a skateboard to the back of a car <laughs> using the song Dreams and it went viral and it com- brought the song back on the charts and and it brought many other copies and that, that's that's the tick the 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 tock um, methodology for success is to post something and then you measure how many people try to do the same thing with the same song.
1: Yeah. Well the, of the, version, their version of it. So little Nas, yeah I think is a prime example. There's hundreds, if not thousands of little you know, little Nas TikToks
2: yeah well little little nas x was you know the guy unlike many other TikTok successes the guy actually has talent and uh has got a career yeah um, a, a lot of the other big hits so-called on uh, TikTok, they're just they're one-offs where there's not a real there's no real um nothing really behind it it's ex- um and this is now this gets into like, you know, how are the record companies signing artists these days? And, um, which I did for 10 years. I, after Epic, I was the head of A&R for Polygram Records. And, um, I'm actually helping to start a new label, which will be announced soon.
1: Yeah.
2: And, uh, we're all, all about artist development, old school artist development. We're going to sign an artist because we think they have two or three great albums in them not one song
1: mm-hmm.
2: and um because the, the one song signings end up being like the emperor has no clothes mm-hmm. a they don't have another hit b they've never performed in front of an audience in their life they've only performed in their bedroom or with their friends and for the purpose of tiktok and um if you look at who's really successful in the music business today, it's the artists that can that can tour successfully. Um, that's where the big money is. And and so back to your com- question, Trace, about you know how do they make money? That's how the real money is made. Uh, that's the str- you know the big money off of streaming is limited to the Taylor Swifts and the. I was going to
0: say, yeah. <laughs> um,
2: yes, they are making big money, but it's still. It's still, I mean, what Taylor will make on the tour that she's doing next year will dwarf anything that is comes to her via streaming. Although that it's not inconsequential, but she's a marketing genius, and she's got a million different things that she's selling at the same time. She's this, and I'm. I have to say, I'm not the biggest fan of Taylor Swift's music,
0: but she's a marketing genius. Mm. You mean herself? She, t- uh, what does she tell the the marketing people from her record company? Like, this is what I want to do. Yes, yeah,
2: yeah. She, she's she just knows how, what her audience will will accept, what they'll buy, mm-hmm. and when, when to do it. You know, she's really really good at it. Um, so that's what's going on in the world today. We have and why why are why are the major labels signing all these TikTok stars for one reason market share
1: Mm. and i guess it's cheap and i guess if you do enough of them and scatter them to the wind you know and one or two are a hit so very little investment you've got a thousand people on you know and to make it big and you've paid the bills right
2: yeah it's it's always been that way you know it's always been that way in the movie business too right you know one out of ten blows up or two out of ten blow up you you don't. You don't even have to have a three hundred batting average, <laughs> yeah. uh, as long as the one or two, you know, go nuclear, right? Yeah.
1: Where are you going to find? So you're you're developing talent or, or this label, isn't it a catch twenty two? So you're going to look what primarily on the road at, at performances, but they they're based usually on a hit record or some. So people, no, I
2: didn't. I wasn't saying that we're going to be looking primarily on oh. at performances. Oh, okay. I just I want to know that this artist can perform at a very high level. Okay. So that when they have the opportunity to get on the road or or a TV shot that it's going to be meaningful. Mm-hmm. Um like for instance um uh, there's an artist out right now oh well, he's not new but it took time to develop him and his performances are blowing people's minds. Billy Strings. I don't know if you've heard of him, but, heard of him. but it's like, that's the, that level of like, everyone's talking about his performances mm. at these festivals. So um, it, you know, it has to start somewhere, obviously. But I mean, the new company that I'm partners in is going to be a, I like to say, a, a full stack music company. We're going to have a label, a publishing company, a management company, uh, a merchandising company and a live event production company as well. So we may be putting on our own live events. We have very, very seasoned veterans at the top of of all of these verticals and uh, we'll be announcing uh, early early next year. Plus I'm bringing in, so I, I went into the technology side of the business very early on. I saw the opportunity and I've been basically in it f- on most of the last 30 years, I've been involved with music tech, even before it was internet-based. Mm. And so I I saw that if you could actually interact with music, if you could choose music on demand and listen to it, that that would change everything. In 1991,
1: mm.
2: I got involved with a startup that al- allowed you to use a touchscreen in a record store and listen to what you wanted to
1: yeah, Sam Goody had that. I remember the. Yeah, I think Sam Goody yeah. had you go in a little booth, right, and you pick out a. Yeah.
2: Well, the one I, the system I was involved with was you stood in front of it and put on headphones. Oh yeah. Um, you know we had these things in uh, HMV stores and the big warehouse chain in the West Coast and mm-hmm. others, um, but the concept was that you could listen to it any anything that was in the store. You could pick up the CD or the cassette. Mm-hmm and scan the barcode and it would bring up previews of the album and ratings. You could rate it. Mm. Um, So we were getting listening information and rating information as well as demographic information as early as 1991. And, um, the systems were so expensive at the end of the day, we couldn't make it work. I mean, they were 20 plus thousand dollars uh, per system. Um, but it was the concept, and so I went. I went back into the music industry to work as head of marketing. So again, I'm pivoting. From I was head of uh, head of A uh, and R at Polygram Records before it was sold to Universal. Then a few years later, I'm head of marketing at Arista Records before BMG merged with Sony, working for Clive Davis, and um, you know helped to break you know, Bad Boy Records, Biggie Smalls and, hmm. you know, should I say Notorious Bigs and Big and many <laughs> others. And and but I was getting bored because I just now had gone onto the Internet for the first time. And all of a sudden, it's like this solves everything that we were trying to do in the store. We don't have to put hardware. You know, people can listen to music with a press of a button. And I wanted to be involved with that change. And so, uh, after about a year uh, and change with at BMG, the parent company of, of Arista, working on their early new media strategy and negotiating a very lucrative deal with AOL on their behalf, I, I went to work for a company called Liquid Audio that was a pioneer in digital music software and distribution um, and negotiated the first licenses for the catalog distribution from warner's and emi and um uh, bmg and and uh and eventually universal uh, which was the real holdout took three years we went public in 1999 and um we paved the road basically for uh for apple we our model was different because apple wanted you to come to their store Mm. right we were distributing digital music, commercial music, to Tower Records and CD Now and Best Buy and Borders and and uh, Music Boulevard and all the other digital music stores of the day that where you could buy packaged CDs. But now you could buy our digital goods as well, which we fulfilled.
0: Um, so, was, yeah. go ahead. Sorry, I mean, what was Crowd Mix? Yeah, this company. You
2: well, were that about. that's quite a bit later, but uh, in the interim, after after uh, Liquid Audio was sold, uh, in in uh, as early as two thousand three, I was interviewed in in a story that was on the front page of the L.A. Times, in which I said, "the the phone will be the next distribution platform for music," and phones were yeah. garbage at that point. They were just Uh, they were dumb phones, you know, they weren't flip, they were flip phones. Yeah. But I had seen some demos and uh, that's what this article was about. Um, And when I wrote, when I was quoted as saying that it was, you know, three or three years before the iPhone launched Mm. uh, and changed everything. Uh, In the interim, I went to work for a uh, company called Nelly Moser out of Boston that was funded by SoftBank and that we developed the first mobile apps for ABC television and Warner music and MTV uh, that were playable on these dumb phones, as I call them. But uh, the experience was um, still good enough to get a video or to listen to songs. And so again, I was ahead of the curve by a few years. And again, Apple came in and, you know sort of um, pave the road i like guns. to say we cleared the land they paved the yeah,
1: road <laughs> <laughs> yeah you're the yeah the mine clearing well, well we have a few minutes left but i'm curious with all that in mind what if you could invent i mean well what's next i mean he, nobody knows for sure but what if if you could invent what's next what what does is well, there any
2: yeah, I mean, you probably you know have read a lot about blockchain and the metaverse and it is it is very much a part of what's next i mean everything will be blockchain based uh artists even art you know artists royalties and and everything else just purely from a financial standpoint but also the sale of goods and not just nfts uh you know the nft market is like that whole metaverse mm. uh today is like the what the internet was in 1995 when i first went on it's completely the wild west everyone's got slightly different models different ideas there's no consistency of of uh platforms there's no consistency there's a million different uh digital wallets that takes a lot of steps to even buy an nft yeah remember okay. it took a lot of steps to go online and to <laughs>
0: download music i went through all that nft uh, so
2: we're we're and... at we're you know we're at that same point but i do think that nfts or something like it um will be a, a not only a great way for artists to uh, uh monetize outside of the streaming platforms which don't pay virtually they don't pay terribly this is could direct to fan but it also is a um it's a way to give them a much more of an experience than just pressing the button and Playing, playing a song. What about it like a, a basically, like bring back the album package in mm-hmm. digital form.
0: What about like you know how they have D- uh, AI and deep fakes? They can make you or me look exactly like out of digital material, and we could make they can make me say anything they want. Can't they in the future of AI, like say, gee, I want a, uh, a record company say I want a Jeff Beck, I want a uh, Bruce Springsteen combination. The drummer will make a you know Ginger Baker or whatever. I'm just you know pulling things out of the air. And 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 because of AI, a deep fake, they could w- without stealing their riffs or anything, they they create. Yes.
2: So there's two different kinds of AI that that you're maybe referring to there's there's the kind that can replicate audio or extract individual tracks out of previously published songs
0: yeah.
2: um that's called uh, sound source separation in a, in a grander sense yeah. but uh, the new beatles uh, uh remix of revolver was created could not have been created without that technology because peter jackson's developed a technology where he could take these these uh stereo masters that uh, you know and actually pull out the individual instruments and then remix it mm. and the new remix of revolver is is revelatory so that that technology already exists and and you what they call stems are basically the individual instruments yeah there's going to be a big business uh which is going to add a, another um uh revenue stream for artists and labels of Basically monetizing their stems, so if if uh, and and then the you know and putting them out and allowing people to riff on it, um, so that that uh, or you can put out a song without the guitar part, and so people can play the, over it. You Yeah, any different ways. So, so
1: I could buy like Paul McCartney's bass line to Taxman or something, and right? Yeah. yeah,
2: or you could buy Taxman with no bass. Oh. Uh, or with the option of dropping out the bass, so you can learn it and play it, oh. and it could grade you on how well you do. Mm. These apps are already out there and being being developed. But the other thing that is the other piece of of AI is actually s- songs that are created by AI, not just sound source composition. Oh,
1: so well, that's happening in art too. Yeah.
2: There, yeah. Like there, there are, there's more and more of that happening. And there are a number of different websites where you can go in and you can not play music at all. Uh, not, you're, you don't have any music knowledge and say, okay, I want, uh, something, I, I want something moody, uh, at roughly this tempo. And I'm in this the genre but with this flavor and you know check all the filters yeah and it'll spit out a piece of music to start <laughs> for you to start with and then you can add to it um so there hasn't yet been a, a hit record that was generated completely by by ai but eventually there will be
0: and that'll kind of like I mean, in-
2: somebody you know, somebody will sing over a completely AI-generated track, yeah. or who knows if the vocal is and, AI-generated.
1: Now, how about the visual component? Um, it, let's say you know Al Stewart; they must he must have had concerts recorded on film or video. Oh yeah, it, is there going to be a day when I can just call up an Al Stewart concert and have him in my living room? I mean, yeah, you know that hol- holographic style.
2: Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. You know they they already do these productions uh, yeah. uh, on the road. So Michael if,
1: Jackson, yeah,
2: all saw like the Frank Zappa one, and you know, and and, and uh, I think there was uh, there's a there was a Buddy Holly one that was
1: uh, went on in Europe. In Roy Orbison, yeah, but, it, but oh, that's... Buddy
2: and Roy, yeah. So there's yeah. if it can be done, if it can be done uh, there, there's no reason why eventually. It can't be done in your in your home, you
1: know? in, in an affordable, you know, I'd pay 100 bucks if I could have, you know, have, have Al Stewart play for me. My <laughs>
2: I'm so I never knew you were such a fan. Migs. Oh, I, I, swear,
1: I must listen to Year of the Cat three times a week minimum because I gets on my playlist when I run or do bike or something.
2: I, I have a signed Year of the Cat poster. Oh, in wow. the room. But I'm going to send you a couple of photos from the. From oh,
1: thanks. Uh, yeah, this has been great. Well, we've we used up a lot of your time, and oh uh, no, to... no
2: I, I could talk all day. And
1: they, yeah, well, maybe we'll do a part two. That's the surface, you know. No, uh, absolutely. Yeah, it's a deep. Well, it's
2: also I, I want to just say for, mm. living living uh, living in Westport and and now West End for, since ninety four, it's it's a very knowledgeable community about music, and we're so lucky to have um, you know the Levitt Pavilion and. And, and so many other great venues within twenty to thirty minutes.
1: Yeah. The library, yeah, it, it's, and
2: and of course the library. I mean, it, which is I mean, to even it's a media center. I mean, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, it, it's. I'm very proud when I when people come into town. I that's the first place I go is I show them the library and the and the Levitt Building, and they go, "Wow, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> sure the centerpiece of." The centerpieces of of our town. And yeah, it's it's it's, uh, it's very heartening, and I think that we get a, a well educated audience, you know, music wise, which is really great.
1: Yeah, a very rich cultural heritage here, and that's going. why I
2: moved here in '94. The- <laughs> it's like it's got a it's got a, it's it's all about the arts, you know.
1: Yeah wonderful
2: and and we have, we have we have a great playhouse too you know
1: oh yeah yeah for playhouse well thank you so much yeah thanks thanks for coming on the show
2: I'll be yeah, well, thanks for inviting me it's 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 fun to talk to you guys i'm sure i will see you at the next major event in town
0: <laughs> okay
1: take care
2: Bye. All right. have a great rest of the day see ya